Yeah, it goes back to kind of like the, the master chef analogy. I mean, when you first start cooking, you follow the recipes. Right. Even how we've talked about before in our coaching practice, and initially we followed the recipes. We said, okay, we're going to read Daniels, we're going to read Fred Will, we're going to read Peter Coe, we're going to read Lydiard. Okay, now we'll follow the prescription plan. We'll see how that works in real time. And then you get less and less from, you know, following that. This is my system. Every year we're doing this on this date because it worked for this guy in the past or this team in the past. And so on October 30th every year, we're going to do 10 times 300 with three minutes rest at this speed because that's what worked five years ago for a team that, you know, won some championship meet that I coached. Rather, I told people the master chef, every time they may make vegetable soup, you know, five, six, nine, 20 times a year. But every time they make the vegetable soup, the vegetable soup's a little different because they're going to take that spoon out of the soup and be like, mm, it needs a little bit more oregano or mm, no, a little extra pinch of salt. And they don't know, it's not the same amount of salt going in in every vegetable soup, even though it's the same general recipe. It, there's that subtlety and that's different that only a master knows based off of you know, what type of stove they're with, you know, what type of utensils they're using, what the potency of their ingredients at that time. And to relate that a little bit clearer to athletes, it's like you may be coaching, you know, several 340, 1500 meter runners in like a five year span. Now, if every one of those guys is running the same workouts and same mileage in five years, the likelihood of that coming to fruition is, you know, very, very low. But if you have that master chef approach, where it's like, okay, well, this guy's coming from a background of a lot of endurance and tempo work, and he has a lot of natural foot speed, but he really has sharped up his, like, you know, velocity at VO2. That might be something to push him from 347 to 340. Or this guy, man, he doesn't have any tempo work, low mileage, just hot, hard reps on the track all the time. Let's build him up here. So how you get all these people to the same end game, the same result, varies even within hopefully your own practice and the people you're working with. Yeah, and I think I, I think that kind of ties into that pattern recognition. That's all it is. Yeah. It's recognizing where the strengths and weaknesses lie and seeing this pattern of how do I get them to, to that point. And it's that's that's what the individualization of coaching is. It's, it's taking this this global system mm-hmm. and saying, all right, I'm not going to do put this person on this exact pathway. I'm going to look at what they bring to the table, recognize how they react to things. You know, when I when I say uh, when I get asked what a workout is, it's it's almost looking at as it's almost looking at giving a test and seeing the reaction. Yes. Yeah. And that's how you judge where to go off the next one or how successful mm-hmm. it is. Is you're saying you're almost predicting, all right, I'm gonna give this athlete this and I think they're gonna be able to do this. Yes. And how they handle that is 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 the reaction that guides the rest of it. And right. it's all the more the longer you're in this, it's straight pattern recognition of mm-hmm. okay, what does that tell me? You know, the master coaches, the ones who have been doing it successfully for decades. You know, they it, it's like instant. Yeah. You know, I I, uh, I remember watching um, Tom Telez analyze someone's form, and without a video camera, yeah. without anything, just <laughs> yeah. sitting there, it's yeah. like, let me watch you run a hundred. Sees him run the hundred, then says, you need to do this, this, and this. Let's try this and do it again. Yeah. And did it again. And you know, I stopped him at some point. I was like, like Tom, what? What's he doing wrong? He's like, A, B, and C are happening. Right. And he's just seeing it, you know, and they're spreading 
it's really quick. Yeah. yeah. And he's just seeing in his eye, and I'm, I'm over there with my high-speed camera, like, frame by frame, yeah, trying to find down. out yeah. how. But the point is, like, he, he's gotten that pattern down so well that it's just, like... Well, he gets in the zone. Oh, it's like yeah. the flow. It's yeah, like, exactly. you know, it's that flow state where someone's sprinting at 11 seconds, 10, 10 seconds for 100 meters, but into that master coach, you know, it, it's slowed down. Like, they can just see the foot strike. They can see, all right, are they casting out below yeah. the knee? You know, are they getting full extension there in the upper body? I mean, how does that look? They just know exactly what they're looking for that slows down versus someone new to the game like you at the time. You'd be like, oh my god, it's going 100 miles an hour, my head spinning, I don't know what's going on. Okay, let me break this down frame by frame, okay. yeah. you know. And I think that's where also, too, like the trust has to come in between an athlete coach and, you know, just not be distracted by the fact that, hey, if you've chosen to work with this person, you've chosen to have them help guide you and guide where you're going and listen to what they're saying. And I have to remind that to athletes all the time, like, look, I don't recruit. People always, yep. and that's my main thing with my post-collegiate people, don't recruit. You got to ask me to work with you. And if I, we agree on it, I'll remind you, like, look, you asked me, and two, you said your you know, ultimate end game is this. Well, I know the level of well, what needs to happen for you to be competitive at that ultimate end game. Good point in ref case was sitting in the stands with Tara Ergman yesterday watching him on his 10K, and I was like, yeah, you got to be able to run five-minute pace, and then you got to be able to, like, sprint all out, you know, at 65, 66s in the last 800 to win. And this is before the race started. You know, and sure enough, Shalane took it out, five minute pace. And then you look at the last 200, the last four 200 meter splits by Molly Huddle, 35, 34, 33, 32. If you can do that, you know, as Don Deterra, like if you can do that, then you can make a team and you can be competitive at the world level. And understanding what it really takes in a championship setting, whether it's a 100 degree heat in Sacramento or Eugene, or torrential downpour like it was in 2012 at the trials, you know, but you still gotta be able to do that regardless of those conditions and then that drives preparation for that if that's your ultimate end game. Right. You know, not just, hey, I can time trial steady 74, 73 at Stanford and oh my God, I ran this 3130, that's great. You know, it's like, well, you guys are gonna be running 32, 32 flat pace and then off that you have to be able to do this. Yes. And knowing that. Otherwise, it's all just folly, <laughs> saying, oh, we're just going to rev up your metabolism, and yeah, the championship's going to be a time trial race. Never is. I've never seen a time trial championship yeah. race, save, you know, Amy Yoda Bagley in 2008 when she needed to get the world, the Olympic standard and just had to just crank it from the gun. That's the yeah. only time I've ever seen that happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, that's a good point. I think, I, I think <laughs> what it gets at is, like, what, what are you actually preparing for? Right. Right. What, what's the point? And I think sometimes in the world of track where we're obsessed with, with times and stuff, and when you get post-collegiately, you think if I run X, I'm going to get this contract right, or this yeah, bonus yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. It becomes this <laughs> obsession with, well, I just need to run this time, yeah. and then I'll be good to go. Yeah, and, and it's all about getting in the heat and the race and the, and the invitational so I can be in that and run yes. that time. Yeah. And it, it's so not the case. Like I was telling that Steve and I were just having this conversation earlier. It's not about the time, it's about being competitive in the championship setting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's something that I think, you know, our, our college system is good at setting you up to do, but in the post-collegiate world, sometimes we just sit sit there and be like, I have to run this time. Yeah, you lose sight of it. Yeah. You lose sight. I'd rather, you know, I was having this actually dialogue with someone else in preparation for these U.S. championships, and 
they're kind of assessing different, you know, 800, you know, 1500 mil distance men. And they're like, well, what do you think about this guy? What do you think about that guy? Like, oh man, this guy's been running really fast. I go, well, this guy's new and he's ran fast at one race. But now he has to be able to run fast in three rounds of an 800 and still be feeling fresh on that final day and get it done. Now, I don't know necessarily if this guy can pop off a one-off race every two weeks can do that in and get that done three out of four days well you know the irony is so if you look at the college system right and granted we have to do the same thing of chasing times and yeah, it yeah. gets really annoying but you at least have a conference championship where mm-hmm. you got you're gonna have tactical races and have to figure out and then you're gonna go to first round of nationals and have tactical races and figure it out yeah. and you're gonna go to nationals and have to figure it out the reality is in the post-collegiate setting it's all getting in fast races, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. It doesn't matter if it's Stanford or yep. Oxy or the yep. Diamond League. Yep. It's all fast races. Yeah. It's all where you're tra- dragged around, and then you have one meet a year, basically, uh-huh. where it becomes tactical. Yeah. And you have to switch gears completely uh-huh. and figure out how to do that yep. versus what you've been doing for the past entire you know season of yeah. racing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, I've recognized that, and I've you know helped guide athletes say well it makes sense to run this race here and then the next day find a small college race the very next day and go run you know a a race that's a little bit down a distance so to speak because the end game is to prepare you to be able to do that back to back yeah or the end game is to prepare you to do that for three days in a row so now it makes sense to then go maybe try to do something in a workout set i mean we've even i've even had an athlete like have a weekend where they you know potentially like tripled where it was a Friday night race, Saturday morning race, and then a Sunday, you know, time trial. Because it's a tough skill to, to try to replicate, you know, in the post-collegiate environment. And I think it goes back to this, is that um, a lot of times we get in this mindset of perfection. Yeah. Like, we have to feel perfect on race day. Oh, yeah. Races have to do that. And, I, and, and we have this fear of failure mm-hmm. where we don't want a subpar, let's say, race attached to our name and go on some record that people think people pay attention to, but yeah. the reality is no one no one does besides yourself, really. Yeah. Um, so it creates, it creates this apprehension to do things like that. Mm-hmm. It creates apprehension to try and race that, you know, some race and then come back, you know, the next day or two days later and do something else because you're like... Well, that second race might not be pretty, so I don't want I don't want my name to it. When it's in reality, is you're preparing yourself for the actual demands right. of the championship style race. And it's just good training, like you said. Like that's all workouts are. It's just to see if where you are mentally, emotionally, and physically aligns with where your coach thinks you are as well. And I think that sometimes, you know, I know from a coaching standpoint, so. You know, a lot of times we'll adjust workouts if someone says, oh, I feel really horrible. Well, we'll adjust things. But sometimes we don't adjust things. Because I'll be like, you know, I'll have a college or post-collegiate athlete come up and be like, oh, my legs are dead today. And, you know, they expect my reaction to be like, oh, let's just push it. Oh, my, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Let's, no, no, we want you to feel good. Oh, oh, yeah. And sometimes I'll be like, okay, and just walk away. And, you know, I remember, (laughs) you know, I remember doing that to one individual and then coming out after it was like, like, do you not not think I was telling the truth? Did you not take me seriously? I'm like, no, I, I knew your legs were dead. Yeah. Like, you, you told me that? I said, oh, that makes sense. But 
you know, we need to be prepared that, hey, if, if race day comes and your legs feel like crap, yeah. then what am I gonna t- what am I gonna tell you? You know, thirty minutes before the start of the race, like, right. oh, let's let's just push. We'll it off. adjust the race for you. Yeah. It's not like we're gonna be like, oh, hey, Kevin's legs are feeling yeah. kind of dead. Hey, guys, coaches, officials, can yeah. can he take a nap? And can we just come back like three hours later and do this? Yeah. We it's we not gonna happen. Yeah, <laughs> we have we have a, a saying on my collegiate team that we say, warm ups don't predict races. Right. Yeah. Because so many times athletes have come and said, ah, oh, I felt horrible on that warm up. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And we've been like, well, you know, you're still going to do it. So get out there and do it. And sometimes really good races have come after that. And, and it's become kind of a mantra where if someone says, oh, like, we don't even talk about it anymore, really. It's like how I felt on my warm up. When I'm preparing for a race, well, I can't do anything about it besides do do my warm up and get ready for the race, and it doesn't really matter because who knows what will happen during the race. Yeah, and that's a huge distraction that befalls every athlete is, oh my god, I don't feel perfect on the warm up, or oh my gosh, like me on the starting line, I have this little like niggle or this little ache or this pain, or I have a little sniffle, and I remind my athletes all the time, like guys. No one's at the start line feeling perfect because we're trying to train to be in a place to run as fast as we can run at a very high level for you, you know, regardless if you're high school, college, post-collegiate, what have you. So everyone has a little something going on. It's the person who, in spite of the little something going on, can still get it done. And that's exactly what we try to do sometimes in practice is create this anti-fragility about, well, hey, we're not going to move the meat for you. We're not going to boot practice for you. you got to get these miles done because it makes sense. Other times in the sequence and pattern of training, all right, you don't want to have that cost-benefit ratio is too high to kind of blow them up, and that's where the coach then has to make adjustments. But if you're always micro-adjusting so the athlete feels perfect, you're then setting them up for failure on competition day because you're not going to be able to micro-adjust then. And it's really curious, you know, being a meet director, sometimes I see that there are certain coaches, even at the post level, who operate in that sphere of, we're going to just create everything to be perfect for my athlete. And they're sometimes the biggest headache to deal with because they're calling me, they're saying, hey, doing all these types of things. Like, whoa, whoa, your job is just to prepare your athlete to get to the start line and do the best they can. Your job ends... You know, and you just have to take that feedback about how they perform once that gun goes off and then go back into training and prepare them for the next time as well. And sometimes some coaches, you know, miss that point. And it's really a disservice not only to the athlete, but also the coach for the coach's own growth and professional and personal development. And again, it goes back to the idea of just, you know, just ship. You just got to ship because it's not necessarily about how well the workout goes. I've had so many times people be like, Oh, I did this workout, now I'm ready to go. Well, it's how well did the workout go, how quickly did you recover from the workout, yeah. and are you ready to go two days later? Yeah. Whereas if that workout sets you back 10 days, you, you yes, you did the workout, you actually physically did it, but it took you a long time to recuperate from it, so that really actually means because your recovery is so delayed, you're not yeah. really ready to go. So it's also, too, adjusting your lens and being and, and not being distracted by I did this workout now, confidence is real high, I'm ready to go, now my legs feel flat at the race. Well, why did you do four sets of six three two, you know, five days before this big workout? That's yeah. a that's a lot. You you did it, but that was your race. Uh, uh, so I was always put it in perspective is what's the point of the workout? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people have this misnomer that workouts are predictive and yes. in the sense that yeah. you do I'm gonna do this workout to predict predict what I can do on race day. Exactly. Yeah. That it, it doesn't work like that. 
you, you can you can force yourself through through crazy stuff. But mm-hmm. it's like you said. Well, you know, I made it through this workout, but I'm shot for ten days. Right. Right. So now race day, I am done. Right. Right. So it's not. It, it's shifting that mindset of what are we trying to do from the workout mm-hmm. versus um, keeping my uh, or letting my loss of confidence, my less confidence show that I need to prove myself in the workout. Right. Well, like you had posted uh, something recently about Neely Spence. Yeah. You know, and it was just, it was all, it wasn't about one workout, it was consistency. She finally was able to get consistent. You know, she's very talented as many post-speed runners are, but lack consistency. And she finally got a consistent block of training and she had a great race at Grandma's. Yep, exactly. You know? And it wasn't because this prescription or that workout indicated such, it was just, she was able to string all of this together, feel good about it, adapt from it, and then went into that race, confidence high, and her body truly ready to compete versus, oh, well, you've been in the pool for five, for four weeks and you had really you know, good workouts for the last two weeks. Okay, you're ready to go because you had good workouts for the last two weeks. It's like, oh, you know, you kind of walk on eggshells there. Right. You yeah. might be, but from a consistency standpoint, the law of consistency, you know, says nine, ten out of ten, probably not. Exactly. No, that's a that's a great point. You know, and and uh, and Neely was a great example of of just needing. It's nothing magic. If you looked at her training for the six weeks before, yeah. there weren't any spectacular workouts. Yeah. It was just like you know what we're gonna try and get through A, B, C, and D, and just get through it, feel good about it, not go crazy, and mm-hmm. try and prove anything, and get you on the starting line at healthy and feeling good about racing. And that's all that's all it takes sometimes and I think a lot of times is we get we get crazy caught up in trying to do crazy things in practice yeah right it's, it's a distraction it, it is. can be it's a, distraction. a distraction yeah it's a complete and yeah. utter distraction because <laughs> you're just you're trying to trying to do things to convince yourself that you're ready to run next yeah. time or my favorite now is the the, the workout Wednesday response yes. sometimes like I have some very good coaching friends, even collegiate coaching friends, like, oh, I saw this workout Wednesday by this team. Yeah. Okay, we're going to do it next week yeah. and see if we can do it just as good, if not better. Oh, yeah, we did. okay, our team did that, or our guys did that, or our girls did that. Okay, now that means we're better than they are. It's like, again, no, the only thing that indicates you're better than someone else or you're prepared better than another team is how you fare against them on race day. Okay. That's it. <laughs> not, not, not whose workouts are better. It's, it's all about when yeah. that gun goes off. You, you know, it's funny. I call it the, uh, the Twitter workouts where you, you see people post these, these yeah. fabulous yeah. workouts yeah. out and then people will yeah. try and copy them and be like, well, if I, if, you know, so-and-so did this, yeah. and if I can do that or better, then I should be able to run faster than, right. you know, person X. Right. It, it, it doesn't work that way, but we're ingrained to think like, it does. Well, you can't rationalize yourself to a fast time, or you can't rationalize yeah. yourself to a PR. I mean, you can prepare mentally, physically, and emotionally, but sometimes I ask people in some of the meets I direct who say, well, I want to get bumped up from this heat to this this other heat. And I go, are you ready to run XYZ time? And it's like, oh, well, hmm, uh, eh, I did these workouts, oh, I just, you know. It's like, no, this is what the pace is going out in this heat. Yeah. I'm not putting you in this heat to afford you an opportunity if you're not going to get right on that pacer's butt and go real fast. Yes. So yes or no. It's a simple black and white question. Yes or no. If the answer is no, probably the section you're in is going to end up being the better section for you. 
because you, there's no getting sucked to this fast time. I mean, people exactly. think this happens, oh, I'm gonna get sucked to a fast time. You still gotta put one leg in front of the other and you still gotta race. And you, it's not like you just hop on someone's back and they're gonna pull you along. That's a, a big misnomer in, in racing. You, I've watched four minute miles happen in windy, not really the greatest conditions with one or two guys in the race and a pacer. I've seen that happen. You know, you don't need this huge density of people in order to get it done. And that's, again, this again, this huge disparity that we have with with racing sometimes is I need everything to be perfect, yeah. but what happens when you get to the championship or that big race when everything is not perfect? Yeah, I think that's a, that was a good uh, way of putting it is I think anytime you have to start rationalizing your way into a faster time, yeah. it shows that you're you're probably not ready to, to go there or go for it. Yeah. You know, it's... Uh, I, I know you deal with it a lot better, but are a lot more than I do. But on the collegiate and post collegiate side, you know, getting people in the heats at Stanford or Mount Sac, and you know, a lot of times my athletes will will come and be like, "Oh man, I got in this heat." I'm like, "Well, you know what? You're ready for that heat." Mm-hmm. It was like, yeah. "Go out, compete, and, and win it, and mm-hmm. then we'll see." There's been very few occasions where where I've uh, contacted someone and said, "Hey." I need them in the bigger heat. I mean, one of the one of the examples I give is this year at at Mount Sac. They had my 5K guy Brian Barraza in, I think the uh, uh, one of the college sections, and right. I wanted him in the invite B section. Sure. And I went to the meet director. And I was like, he needs to be in the invite B section. He's ready to run right. with all those guys in there. Right. It's like even if his PR is slightly off, it he just missed it. He needs to be in there, not because he's done any workout, yeah. any special workout, but because he's had this much consistent training and he's ready to do this. And mm-hmm. then I said, all right, you know, yeah. we weren't trying to rationalize. And he ended up, I think, fourth or fifth in that heat, and he was seated, you know, 35th in the heat time-wise coming right. in, yeah. right? And, he, and I said, Brian, you got in the big heat. You need to go out and get on it. Exactly. And be in there. Yeah. And he stuck yeah. himself in that top yeah. five or ten from the go and just said, I'm gonna hang on and compete as best I best as I can for this. Yeah. And like that's that's the difference between for him I knew he was gonna do that, he was ready to do that, and he was gonna take that mindset up doing that. I think a lot of times you have athletes like, oh, well, you know, uh, even as a coach, like, well, you know, I think this guy might be able to do this, so right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick right. him in that. And, right. And then they go out and last and try and hang on. And, you know. Right. I, I always use, I always talk, like, for me, in those situations, I talk to my athletes straight up, like, do you want this opportunity? Are you going to be able to get it done? Yeah. Not, oh, you hope, are you being able to get it done? Because... It, if you get that opportunity to get in that heat versus and displace somebody else, you need to maximize that because maybe someone else is ready to get it done and they weren't able to get in it. So you gotta be really real. It's not, you know, sometimes people like wanna say, oh, I got in the se- second section or first section at Peyton Jordan and they wear it around like, uh, you know, a famous brand item, like yeah. a Louis Vuitton handbag. Oh, well, I'm in it. Yeah. I, and the, the day, the pre meet at the track, they're like, oh, I'm in it. It's heat too. Look at me now. Yeah. It's like, who cares, man? What matters is someone like gasses up and gets it done. Because I've seen second, third section heats at some of these invites be the fastest time of the day. Yeah, you know, and that's that misconception again that it's just, well, the big names are here or these recognizable names are there, but it's another distraction. Like we're trying to talk about from a racing standpoint, saying I need to be here in order for me to be perfectly capable of succeeding. Yes. Well, run yourself fast out of the second section, 
Don't let it be a distraction and just compete and compete to win because that's ultimately the end of the day. It's a foot race. Like, yeah, we go to these invites and we want pacers and I spend hours a year, days every year for a lot of these meets I help help with trying to find great pacers. And, you know, it's, it's really hard work and it doesn't always come to fruition. But despite the end of the day, if I can't get, if we can't get the pacer or if the pacer doesn't do a job, it's still just a foot race. We're still just trying, if the, I always tell people, if lightning struck the timing system and the timing went down, you guys would still be competing halfway if it happened halfway through the race. Exactly. And we'd see who would win. Who would win, because that's really about, it's about the end of the day. And, you know, coaches, I really implore you to prepare your athletes to be competitive to race to win. Whether it's off a slow sit and kick, surging, whatever time. Figure out what competitive endeavor you're going into and what's it going to take to win and working from, you know, a backwards perspective. Like I referenced earlier in the pod here, you know, with the women's 10K, Molly Huddle did this in the last 200, in the 200 preceding that, preceding that, preceding that. She was able to run 800 in this pace off of running first five and a half miles at LeBron 5 minutes to 510 pace. So now you know that's what it takes to be competitive, so now you gotta work your way back. Okay, I gotta be able to get the metabolism and efficiency to run you know, five and a half miles at five of flat to 510 pace, and then off of that be able to kick. I mean, one of the young women I worked with, Boscucci, Anna Connor, was a 440, 1500-meter runner two years ago, and she's like, well, I wanna go to USA's and run 410. I go, oh, those are big goals, that's hard to do. Yeah. And the girl walks around with a you know pretty good foot speed for a woman, yeah. you know 27, 28 second 200 meter foot speed. Yeah. But she didn't have the aerobic and metabolic yeah. endurance to be able to crank out 66s, 67s, and then use that foot speed. Right. And it was a long two year process of just <laughs> hey Anna, just be patient, be patient. You're PRing, but you're not gonna. I mean, she jumped from 440 to 427, and then this year she went from 427 to 414. And I told her this time last year, 413 would get you in the USA meet the following year. You know, and she had it right in yeah. front of her. And in the last 50 meters of Poland Track Festival, she was there, ready to do it. All she had to do is just maintain, and she just kind of blew up a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, that's good um, feedback for me as a coach and for her to go into her next training cycle for the following season, next season, a little frustrated, a little hungry. But she's made huge gains along the way. But because we worked backwards about this is what you have to be able to do. You have to be able to run 65 to 67 and then close in 30. Yes. Not, oh, well, I can run a 27. But who cares if you can run one fresh 27? I care what can you do after 1,200 meters of running at 67, 65 type pace. Exactly. And that's just, so don't get distracted by things that don't really matter. Like, that's what matters and focus on that. Exactly. No, that's a good point. I mean, that's, it's a different ability. I always say it's a different ability to kick or tap, to run fast versus kicking at the end of the race. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, the example, one of the examples I like to use is last year, again, same kid, Brian Barraza in the world, or U.S. Junior 5K. He was going against right. several guys from Stanford and I think Georgetown and who had much faster 5K PRs from them. But we knew it was going to be kind of a run around 1420, 14.30 type pace and then close like crazy. Right. Now Brian at the time had, you know, a 350, 1500 meter PR, could maybe run 52 in the 400 and I was like, you're going to have to be able to close in 55, 56. So we, we worked on having that mentality. It's like, I don't care if you don't have the biggest speed. It's like, we just need to be able to close in 55 and 56. Right. 
Yep. And what happens? He closes in 55. And he's, he's not that... I mean, his 800 PR that year right. was 155 high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he closed last Ooh. last 800 of a 5K almost at that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's having that ability versus that ability to do it in that specific situation yes. Yes. versus having that fresh ability to do it are two completely different things. Right. And, you know, not to change topics uh, real quick, or we probably end up as we're almost at an hour. But, you know, one of the points I wanted to make is you mentioned rabbiting, and I know I know this guy listens to the podcast, so I'm going to give a, a shout-out. So at the Portland Track Festival, we had one of my college kids, a sophomore kid who... who ran his first real 800 of the season and ran 151-2 as his first real 800 because he was hurt indoors, he stepped in a hole, got a yeah. stress fracture. Yeah. Missed all of it and said, Coach, my parents want me to fly out to Portland just so I can get something in. I was like, all right, we'll train. So ran a solid race. You came up to me, you know, right after his race, I think. Yeah, because some other one, as another guy in, in his 800, yeah. you know, one of the earlier sections in the high-performance uh, program, I talked to another coach and said, oh, yeah, he'll, this guy, he's going to run an 8, and then he'll come back and pace a 15. I said, okay, great. So we can just use this guy. He's good. He's, you know, post-collegiate guy. He knows what he's doing. That guy totally bombed. Something went on. Went haywire, and that coach came out to say, hey, John, that guy can't pace. And I was like, oh, crap. Okay. Got to figure out now within about 30 minutes, and really within five minutes, so I can get, you know, this athlete who's around – or coming out of these 800 meter sections to see if they're capable of having this half hour turnaround to do this. Gotta go, you know, and figure this out real fast. I mean, so I went up to Steve and asked him, you know, about this kid and... Yeah, and, and as I said, and this is what I'm, uh, what we're getting back to is, is me asking a college sophomore to do that. There was no second thought. Yeah. You know, he literally just got done. I said, Chris, um, jog around a little bit, you're going to pace pace the 1500. I don't care how far you made it. You made it 700. I was like, you're just going to try it. You're just going to go out and do it yeah. and hit these splits for as long yeah. as you can. Yeah. And he looks at me, he's like, okay, coach, yeah. like, <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do Love it, it. Yeah. you know? And, it, and, and, then this, and he wasn't like, his reaction easily could have been like, are you serious? I just ran my first race in, yeah. in you know, six months, like, and it was, you know, close to my PR and... You know, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I'm dead. Yeah. Like I can't do this. It was like, okay, like these are the demands. I got to get myself ready right. in 25, 30 minutes to get ready to do this. Let's do this. Right, and the mindset of that athlete is going to hopefully translate well to when he's fully click in, has consistent training under his belt, and then gets into a racing environment and championship environment itself. Because that that type of mentality that he has, Steve, is as you and I know, really tough to teach. Yes, you know, and that's really valuable. Like. Some of the key performance indicators I look for in how successful someone might be post-collegiate, not is how fast did you run, but what's your mindset? Do you have that type of mindset? Okay, I can get this done. Because I remind athletes all the time, everyone who's running post-collegiately was fast. Everyone in this heat was an NCAA champion or D2 champion or NAIA champion. Everyone has done something special. That's why they're still competing at this level. So don't think just because one year you were the you know big 10 champion or you know the big sky you know five-time champion means all of a sudden you know your you know poop doesn't smell at you know or smells better than everyone else's it's like no man everyone's here kind of equal playing fields then who has that mindset 
that I was like, that's the demand? Okay, exactly. let's go do it. Exactly. I mean, I, I think that's a huge point. And as I said, with, with that individual, um, if I asked him to do that his freshman year, he probably wouldn't have been able to do it right. mentally. But after going through the setback that he did and mm -hmm. coming back from mm -hmm. it, now his mindset is that. Because he understands going through adversity, yeah. coming out of it, has reframed his mental approach to it. Right. And yes, losing a year of, of uh, running sucks, but in yeah. terms of mindset, and he's mentioned that too, it's been an entire growth because he got thrown an adverse situation and instead of saying, my life sucks, how do I get around this, is how am I gonna become a better athlete in person from that? Right. And that's what I mean, he took that distraction yes. and used it to his advantage. Right. Yeah, and that's really, you know, kind of wrap up here, what it's really all about reframing distractions as you know challenges to help you grow or as opportunities or things you can use to your advantage that maybe your competition or other camps and athletes might be using as limitations and if you can do that if you can recognize how to be like that's not a big deal I think that goes a long way because we tend to as we've you know talked about several times throughout this course of this episode tend to blow things up and overanalyze and make things bigger than they are. And really, at the end of the day, athletics is a very simple thing. It's a very simple skill set for if you're a ball sport athlete, if you're an endurance athlete, if you're a speed power athlete. It's all just very simplified. And one of my personal maxims has always been simplify and go. You know, just, just go do it. And then that get a lot of feedback from your failures and your yes. successes by just simplifying and going and doing I mean, it's that type of teaching that they've shown in sports that, you know, teach by doing rather than teach by blackboard instruction, which allows us for a lot more rapid and a lot more impactful learning. Yep, I can't sum it up any better than that. So I'm gonna leave it at that and just say it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's just running. It's just track. Amen. Like, keep it in perspective. Have fun. Have fun. Yeah. Amen. If you enjoy it, you're gonna you're gonna run fast, yeah. but you gotta enjoy it. Yeah. So, thanks a lot for listening to our uh, our live uh, broadcast here from yeah. uh, from Eugene. And um, yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Take care.